Welcome to the Church of the Living God Mount Sterling podcast. We hope you are blessed by this message. For more information about our church, follow us on Facebook by searching for our page, Church of the Living God Mount Sterling. We would love to connect with you, pray with you, and hear what God is doing in your life. Now grab your Bibles and let's get into God's Word. As Pastor Patrick said a couple weeks uh, or a couple months ago, there was a prophetic word of the Lord, and he said, you're going to go into a season where prodigals are going to start to come home. Well, about two weeks ago, so just before my procedure, I didn't even know that I was going to have. That wasn't scheduled. It just happened out of nowhere. Um, the Lord put a message on my heart, and he really stirred my heart. And I, I was like, okay, Lord, you know, I'm excited to share this word. I don't know when I'm going to get to share it. It so happened the same week Pastor Patrick and I had a conversation. He's like, hey, would you be able to preach in the middle of March? Um, I said, sure. The Lord spoke to me and he said, this, this word is going to be the beginning of that season. Now, season is a span of time. So this doesn't culminate with just one message. But this is going to be a message that I believe brings us into a season that gives us the Father's heart to start to see sons and daughters return home. And, and, and that could be people here, that could be people who watch this video on Facebook whenever, it doesn't matter. But I believe this is not the, the climax, I believe this is the beginning of that season. As we move into a period of time, as sons and daughters come home. So I want to share with you what the Lord has put on my heart. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John or the gospel of John, chapter 15. John 15 we're going to start right off the top in verse 1. It's going to also be on this large screen behind me. Um, but if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. John 15, 1. says, this is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This message that's, I believe, gonna enter us into a season about prodigals coming home. The message on my heart is called, that was me. That was me. Let's pray. Dear precious heavenly Lord, I thank you so much for your presence in this place. God, let us turn our hearts to you and our affection. Let us pour it on you at your feet. God, I pray that you would minister your heart through these words. By your Holy Spirit, give me utterance and unction to speak the words that you've given me. But Lord, it is your message. And it's for the purpose of connecting hearts back to you. So God, I pray that wherever we're at this morning, that we would find a heart connection with you through your word and through what you want to speak in our lives. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise because only you deserve it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus is teaching. He's teaching as he often did. He was a rabbi. He was very skilled in teaching. They didn't just call him that because they thought it was a respectful term. He actually went through the Jewish scholarly program of becoming a rabbi. He was well acquainted with teaching. At this point, he's teaching 
a concept about abiding, which is actually tricky to define. I heard a minister say once, if I want to demonstrate following, that's really easy. I just tell somebody, hey, come follow me. I walk around, they go where I go. But if I have to say, abide in me, what does that mean? What does that mean? And so that's tricky. So Jesus gives them a parable or a metaphor, and he says, I'm a vine, but I'm the true vine. My father, he's the vine dresser, or he's the gardener. Every branch in me, so every branch connected, albeit loosely or strongly, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. We use that passage in church to say, hey, you have to be connected to Christ. There's no other way. And guess what? Guess what? That's absolutely true. That is the truth. Where it gets a little bit hairy, and why I wanted to start with this passage is because the translation we have says, every branch in me, Jesus, that does not bear fruit, he, my father, the vine dresser, takes away. Some scholars were working on a translation, and they went and they looked at the Greek that Jesus spoke. It would have been most likely because of his audience to his disciples. It would have been Aramaic. They looked at how that was translated into Greek, and then eventually down into English, and they said, yeah, takes away. It works there in the Greek. But actually, the better translation, and this changes everything, the better way that Jesus would have phrased it is that he, my father, the vine dresser, with the branches that aren't bearing fruit, he raises them up. He lifts them up from the ground. He elevates them. He takes them upon oneself. He carries them and he bears them out. Jesus talks about branches that are completely severed from the vine. That's different. Because he said, if there are Branches connected to me, but they're not bearing fruit. My father comes, who's the vine dresser, and takes them away. Well, he actually props them up. But the church has preached for years, oh, you better watch out. You're walking in sin. Here comes the father. I can hear his hedge trippers now. I can hear the hedge clippers, and, the, and they're sharp, buddy. He's going to clip, 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 take you away. Why? Because you're in sin. And he wants nothing to do with you. And Jesus said, that is the opposite of the perspective of my father. He's a gardener. You know what he wants more than anything? Growth. He wants fruit to be present. So what does he do? He props up the branches not bearing fruit. He gives them more attention. Because maybe they're not in the light like they were meant to be. Maybe they are cut off from the light, but they're still connected to the vine. We're talking about prodigals coming home. There's a gospel message for the lost, but there needs to be a gospel message for those who have walked away. Because there is a homecoming that we are seeing, and there's a harvest in this end time. And it's not just for the the lost completely, but there's going to be a greater portion, I believe, of the end time harvest of those sons and daughters coming back. Because they got connected to a vine, but then they got out of the light. Maybe they laid on the ground. They couldn't get the resources they needed. So rather than a gardener who walks and says, there's a fruitless branch, I'll nip that and take it and haul it away. 
the father says, I'm going to prop that branch up. I'm going to give it the attention it needs. I'm going to pull it up closer into the light. Why? So that it can bear fruit. This mentality that the father is an angry judge, but thank goodness we have Jesus, is not the message that Jesus came and preached. The church and the world, but the church needs a different perspective on who the father is. Mike Bickle says, the father is a judge, but he comes to judge anything that stands between his love and me. Why does he judge our sin? Because it stands between him and me. He's not cutting me off of a vine that I'm barely hanging onto and casting me in the fire. He's looking at a branch that's still connected, hanging on by a thread and saying, if I can just prop that up. If I can just give it a little more of my attention, the fruit will grow, I know it. We have this mindset of an angry judge coming after us with a gavel instead of a father who's running after us with open arms. Why is it that it's easier to preach the version of the gardener who cuts the branch off? Because when I'm in sin, I've given up. But when I'm going okay and I think I've got my stuff together, it's easy for me to point out all the branches that don't have fruit and say, hey, God, come deal with them. Come deal with them. They're making my tree look bad. It's not your tree. Jesus said, I'm the true vine. You said, God, God, they're not bearing any fruit, but I am. God said, yeah, I know. So that's why I'm going to prop them up. Because they need to be lifted and carried. I need to bear their burdens so that they can be in a place to grow healthy fruit. That is what Jesus taught us in this passage. This idea that the gardener has come to cut off all the branches makes no sense when you understand the love of a father. Jesus, he, again, he was a teacher, so he taught, he taught three parables that represented the Trinity. He taught about a father and a selfish son who was in the family but chose inheritance apart from his father. You see, inheritance that's taken now while the father is still present but you remove yourself from the father voids you of any legacy that would have been built into that inheritance. If I start my legacy before my father has finished his, then I don't get all the stuff that he could have handed off to me in my inheritance. So when I demand my inheritance now, I have to do it absence of the father. That's what the prodigal son did. So Jesus tells a story, and he demonstrates that the son came to himself, and he realized that even the servants in the father's house lived better than he was living. And he came back home, and he had all these excuses and all these these responses and apologies drummed up and the father cut him off and ran to him with open arms and grabbed him and rather than rather than shame and guilt and punishment the father ran to him with a ring and a robe and said get the fatted calf ready we're going to celebrate my son has come home that was the story of the father jesus then told the story of the shepherd who left the 99 to find the one and carry him back on his shoulders 
to celebrate, thus representing the son, the, the, the good shepherd. And then he told the story of the woman in the lost coin who literally flipped the house upside down to find a coin that represents the Holy Spirit who will turn life upside down if the Holy Spirit can reveal the value that you have. Jesus taught us about the Trinity by teaching us about one thing. The Trinity is what? Three in one. That means how can we have the perspective that God's heart is different than Christ's heart? How can we think the Trinity is three in one? Oh, but God's really mean, and thank goodness, Jesus is really nice. They are the Godhead bodily, three in one. There's no separation. Jesus was man, but he was 100% God. The Holy Spirit, 100% God. It's the Godhead bodily. They can't be different personalities. We can't have an angry God and, and a, a really loving Jesus. This, this concept, and I was, even, you know, I was even taught this growing up, that God couldn't even look on Jesus because of our sin. He, it was too much to look at, so he had to hide his face. Sometimes we fail to realize that Jesus on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was actually quoting a psalm that said that. But we say, well, God couldn't look at Jesus because he couldn't look at sin, so he had to turn his heart away from him. Yeah, but when Adam sinned, God came looking for him in the garden. So why do we have this perception that we have this angry father? Well, let me, let me go to this next passage, and we'll break that down a little bit further. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Verse 1. says, when he had come down, this is Jesus, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately... His leprosy was cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Leprosy is a, a terrible disease. It still exists today in certain forms, especially in, in third world countries. Leprosy also represented a lot of different skin diseases in the Bible, but, but leprosy here was, was a, a flesh-eating disease. Leprosy did a couple things. I want to bring these out. First of all, if you were... If you were someone who portrayed the symptoms of leprosy, you were immediately handled, handed a label that you were unclean. So much so that when you went into the villages, you had to yell out loud, unclean. You had to announce the shame of your disease everywhere you went. Unclean, I'm unclean. Hey, watch out. Don't get near me. I'm unclean. It gave a label. It also made you an outcast from society. There were leper colonies. Lepers were not allowed to live amongst the people. So they were immediately outcast from society. At any given time, a leper could not come within six feet up to 150 feet of a well-being person. And, and doctors and Bible scholars have looked at this and said that if the wind was blowing, that a leper had to measure 150 feet away from that person. 
because they had the fear that the unclean in them could literally blow in the wind and catch on to somebody. So they made them outcasts in society. They separated themselves. They could not come within six to 150 feet. And here's the thing that's interesting. Most people see leprosy as a flesh-eating disease, and it is. It's a terrible disease. But leprosy is actually not a skin disease. It is a nerve disease. The root of leprosy happens in the nervous system. And the first thing it does is it cuts off your pain receptors so that you can't experience pain. And then, as it progresses into the later stages, skin starts to rot off. What we see there is an outward appearance, symbol, or sign of what has already started to take place on the inside, in the inward man. So here you have a man, unclean, outcast by society, not allowed to come into any human contact whatsoever with anybody who's well. And on the inside, he can't even feel the pain of what is eating him alive. Sin is also, uh, leprosy is a four type of sin in the Bible. They're compared. Sin will leave you with a label. It will leave you with a label. I'm, you know, an addict, a prostitute. I'm, I'm a murderer. But let's, let's take it even a step further, because these are bad words in the church. Divorced. Abused. Misused. These labels that we feel like we have to bear become our identity to where we don't even have to announce it when we walk in the room because people can see that we're eat up with sin and that our identity is now wrought with shame and we're cut off. We're now outcast, not only to not have human interaction, but on the inside, we're completely dead. Can I tell you something that that was me? Yeah, I grow up, I, you know, I've grown up in church. I was saved when I was very young. My family has been in ministry my whole life. Doesn't matter. I've, I've gone through seasons where I have bore the, the title of shame, where I have been outcast from community, where I have been so angry and so bitter on the inside that the only way I knew how to fix it was to get more numb. What did I, I had a nervous, I had a nervous system disease eating at me called sin. And I allowed myself to become so numb that I actually forgot what it was like. I remember a season I was going through that I was so disconnected and in pain. I didn't want anything to do with church. I didn't want anything to do with myself in the mirror. And I remember I was driving home one night, and my dad called me just to talk about, you know, 
probably sports or something like that. We were just having a chat, and I was just kind of checked out. I was so mad, so angry. I didn't want anything to do with God or the church or anything else. We got ready to hang up the phone, and my dad said something that he doesn't typically say when we're on the phone. He said, well, I'll talk to you later. I love you, son. And the words came out, and they were just so numb, and I was like, yeah, I love you too. Bye. And I hung up the phone, and I realized it was the first time I'd heard somebody tell me that they loved me in weeks, and it came from my father, and it broke me. Why? Because even my earthly father is not one who, who called me up to judge me and yell at me. He knew I was struggling, but he called me up to tell me he loved me, and how much more our heavenly father represents that. So here you have a man outcast by society. He hears about the living God being in his community. And he says, I've been cut off, but maybe there's a chance. And he says, Jesus, if you're willing, you can heal me, right? I mean, if you're willing, it's up to you. I believe that you can. I just don't know if you're willing. We've talked about that. The thing that Christians struggle with is not can God, it's will God. He said, God, Jesus, if you're willing, you can heal me. And Jesus said, oh, I'm willing. It says that Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Again, yes, he physically touched him. And even that alone, just a touch, illegal, completely illegal in their society. But the word there, actually in the Greek, when it says that Jesus touched him and he was made whole, is to attach oneself to to fasten oneself to, to adhere to. It even goes as far as to audaciously say it's an intimate embrace. Jesus, who is on full display, his ministry is growing. People are following him because of the signs and wonders. He walks up, he sees a man who's cut off from society, whose flesh is rotting, who is numb on the inside, who's declaring what? His identity of unclean, who hasn't felt a human embrace in no telling how long. And Jesus says, not only are you going to be healed, but I'm going to hug you out of your shame. Jesus embraced the leper in front of the crowds, full on spectacle, and said, this is how I deal with shame. The Father hasn't come to judge you. He's come to hug you out of your shame. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What's the Father going to do with your leprous condition? He's going to hug you right out of it. He's going to adhere himself to you. He's going to cling to you. And he's going to watch the thing that has killed you on the inside, that has started to manifest on the outside. It says, immediately be wiped away. Jesus shows us the heart of the Father. He teaches us that the Father wants to prop up the branches that aren't producing fruit. He tells us about the, the representation of the Trinity and how the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son are sent to seek those who are needing connection with family. And then Jesus comes and he demonstrates it by hugging a man that society said, don't go anywhere near. Now, why is it that there might have been a perception that God dealt differently? Well, see, God addressed leprosy in the Levitical laws. And he talked about a separation. 
talked about having to deal with leprosy. And yes, sometimes it was, it was sin was in the camp. But what it came to be believed by the Israelites was that anybody who had leprosy was cursed directly by God because there must be something wrong. That mindset was present in Jesus' day. We even see the disciples at one point say, man, this person's afflicted. Who was wrong, them or their parents? Jesus is like, what? What? I'm going to show you how we deal with affliction. It has nothing to do with your sin or your parents' sin. I'm just going to come here and I'm going to hug you out of it. So the people of God have this perception that if somebody has leprosy, it's because the Father hates them because he has left them to die through a curse that he sent. And Jesus said, you don't even understand. When my Father sees somebody in that kind of condition, he wants to prop them up and adhere himself to them. So that fruit can grow. So Jesus in the flesh comes and hugs a man who was outcast by society to show us that if you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. We need a better perception of the Father. Jesus gave that to us. Finally, turn with me to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Oh, goodness, this part. I want you to understand how much Jesus loves you. And I I really want us to dial in right now, in this moment, if you don't hear anything else, I want you to dial in right now. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You understand that Jesus left the adoration of angels where night and day because there's no separation in heaven so at all times there is a heavenly choir singing around the throne if Jesus had left heaven to come to earth and we as sinful people had crowned him king and celebrated him then it would have been a complete Step down for him. Instead, Jesus left the adoration of angels to be spat upon, mocked, and beaten. Jesus humbled himself as a man all the way to the point of death, the death of the cross. Mother Besselia Schlink says, God is on trial before men. The Lamb of God willingly chooses to be judged. He who was without sin, condemned by us. God, who only knows how to create life, allowed himself to taste death. 
he put himself on trial by men. This is mind-blowing to me. He who knew no sin allowed himself to be condemned by me. And there have been times in my life where I've been like Peter, where I wanted to be close enough that I could warm myself in his presence, but far enough away that if somebody accused me, I could deny it, rather than standing on trial beside him, because that's where Peter should have been. There's times I've been like Peter. But there's times that I've been the one who put him on trial. There have been times where I was the one slinging accusations, not just denying that I knew him. But I was saying, in my heartbreak, God, I thought you were real. How could you let this happen? How could you let them walk away? How could you let them talk about me like that? If you were who you said you were, then you would vindicate me. You would love me. I don't feel a connection. And it's your fault. And you know what Jesus did as I put him on trial? He did the same thing that he did when he was on trial here. With tears streaming down his face, he stood there in silence. Knowing that he was about to stretch out his arms and give his life for me. A couple weeks ago when the Lord laid this message on my heart, I was in prayer and the Lord showed me two little hands in the womb, little baby's hands in the womb. And, and I, you know, I, was, I was just praying, so I wasn't praying about this message or anything like that. I was just spending time with the Lord. And so you know, I saw that, and my heart kind of went to, oh, you know, the passage is about, you know, he knew me in my mother's womb, and he knit me together. And the Lord said, yeah. He said, I want you to think about this. And I'm going to be honest, it really tore me up. And I'm, and I'm sorry that this is a heavy statement, but I want us to understand the gravity of what Jesus did for us to bring us back into family. I heard the Lord say, you know, I knit together hands in a womb that would one day pick up a hammer and nail mine to a cross. And I wept. Because he knit my hands together too. And he knew that there'd be times where I would be the one plucking the beard out of his face. Where I would mock him and accuse him. And he said, you know what? I'm still going to stretch out those hands. And I'm going to allow my hands to be nailed to a cross for your sins. Because I care more about reconnecting you to the Father than I do about the pain and suffering. And the writer of Hebrews went so far as to audaciously say it was the joy set before him. That was me. I've been the branch that was hanging on by a thread. There wasn't an ounce of fruit in me and the father came and propped me up. 
I've been the man who was so dead on the inside and so numb that the outside, it was obvious that I was disconnected. And Jesus came and he hugged me out of my shame. And there have been times where he knit my hands together in the womb, knowing that my hands would grow up to strike him in the face and to put him on trial. And he stretched out those same hands for me. And he brought me to a place of repentance so that I could have relationship with the Father. The song we sang today, and we don't plan these things. The worship team didn't know my message. We don't share notes. Second verse of No Longer Slaves says, In my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. He chose me. He knew me in my mother's womb. And despite the way that I would grow up to abuse him. What does the rest of that verse say? But I've been born again into a family. His blood flows through my veins. I want to tell you today that if you're saying right now, that's still me. I'm still the branch that's not producing fruit. I am still the one who's dead on the inside whether people know it or not. And I don't know what it's like to embrace human touch or emotion, much less a heavenly father's love. Because all I see him as is a judge. Or maybe you're here today saying, I've even said, God, where are you? And I've put him on trial. And maybe you're there right now. I want to tell you that his love is here for you. I heard a quote recently that said, The devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. But God knows your sin, and he calls you by name. We are called to be the sons and daughters of God. So if you're saying today, that was me, or maybe you're saying today, that is me, or maybe you're watching this on Facebook sometime later, and you say, right now, where I'm at, in my home, in my bedroom, in in my car, at my workplace, that's me. Guess what? I have good news. The Father has come with love and he sent his son who stretched out his arms for me so that I could be reconnected to a family. So that I could find the love of family and be reconnected. If you have walked away, there is no limit to how far God won't run after you. He literally tasted death when all he knew was the creation of life. Why? Because he'll go to any pit of darkness, even if it's literally the pit of hell, to rescue you. That's how much God loves us. And we have this mindset that I've messed up too bad. I've gone too far. And and part of the reason why that mindset is perpetuated is because the church hasn't done itself any favors. But we're not a church. We're here to represent the kingdom of God. That's a lot different. In fact, we represent the apostolic, which is all about bringing heaven to earth and showing the love of the Father so when the Father shows up, he's at home. That's what this is about. So instead of saying, God, go get the fruitless branches and let's let the other branches talk about that branch behind its tree. And look, you may have some fruit on you at that moment, but it's it's rotten. Let's be the ones that say, Father, that branch needs your light. Yeah, but they're a homosexual. It doesn't matter, Father, they need your attention. Yeah, but they're living in an affair. But Father, go get them. Don't take them away. Prop them up. Let them bear fruit. But they're dead on the inside. Go hug them. Show them the love of Christ. Because that's what he did when he showed us the love of the Father. And I want to end with this story real quick. Larissa Miller is the 
the pastor, one of the pastors at Upper Room in Dallas, and she was in a worship service. And she had a vision where she was in a huge crowd of people. And Jesus was off in the distance hanging on the cross. And she said, she looked around and some people were sad, some people were cheering, some people were mocking. It was an entire sea of people. She said her eyes met with Jesus' eyes and she could see the sorrow and the pain in his eyes. And so she looked down because it was a lot to take in. And when she looked back up, to her surprise, everyone was gone. There was no crowd. She was the only one standing there. But when she looked up, Jesus was still on the cross. And he was still in pain. And she knew he was still going to die. And she said, Jesus, she said, I could feel his agony on the cross. And she said, Jesus, don't do this for me. It's okay if you came to save the world, but if it's just me, don't go through this. I'm, I'm not worth it. I'm not worth it. Jesus, you don't have to die if it's just me. And I think sometimes as the church, we allow ourselves to accept that God so loved the world, but we lose the perspective of for God so loved me. And she said, Jesus, don't do this. You don't have to do this. And Jesus, with tears in his eyes and with a loving voice said, but I do. I have to do this for the chance that you will choose me back. Jesus could have come to the earth and died for our sins, and every single person refused him. But he did it on the chance that even one would be saved. If you put that into perspective, Jesus came to this earth and he died for your sins, giving you not the predetermined choice, not that you don't have a decision in this, not that it's my way or the highway. He gave you the choice to choose him back. Jesus said, you don't understand. I have to suffer the cross and die for the chance that you'll choose me back. I think sometimes when we get off in sin, we forget that if it was just me and it was just my sin, I'd still just have needed a savior who would come and would have given his everything, even if it was for one. Well, I don't know. How do you know that? Because it says out of his own mouth when he told the parable that the shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one. Jesus left the adoration of angels to come here and rescue even one and to bring them back into the family, not as a servant, but like Pastor Patrick said in Romans 8, as a son and a daughter. That's the kind of heart connection the Father wants with us. So I believe this message is just the beginning of a season that we're going to see where prodigals are going to start to come home, where people who are disconnected and have been outcast and are, are tired and they're numb and they're in shame, we're going to see them come back in the doors. And what are we going to do in response? We're going to hug them. We're going to hug them. We're going to cry with them. We're going to love on them. We're going to prop them up. Why? Because it's what God does. It's what he says he does. It's what he demonstrates he does. How do we win a city? I told Pastor, uh, Pastor Harry one time, I said, sometimes we win a city one hug at a time, and he gives the best hug. 
How do we win a city? One hug at a time. One connection at a time. One propped up branch at a time. Stand with me this morning. I want to make sure, Nathaniel, you guys will come. I want to make sure that we, we don't leave this moment too quickly. And I want, to give, I want to give an opportunity for some heart connections to be remade this morning. And, and like I said, you know, maybe, maybe some heart connections will come throughout the week on Facebook as people watch this video who weren't able to make it today. Maybe you know somebody who needs this message. The message will be on Facebook. Share it. Send it to them. But I want us this morning before we leave, whether you've been saved 10 minutes, 10 years, or 100 years, I don't think that's anybody in here, but it doesn't matter how long you've been saved, I want us to take inventory this morning of where our heart connection is. And I want us to, to have an opportunity if there's anybody here to have some homecoming this morning. Um, I don't want you to think that you know, as a pastor, that everything is, is perfect all the time and that you don't have struggles. And when I asked the Lord what to call this message, he said, call it, that was me, because that was you. So I'm not coming to you from a place of, well, I know that there are people who are hurting. I don't really know what that feels like, but if that's you, I'm coming to you from a place of saying, that was me. I was that bitter, angry person who was ready to give up completely on God and so I just want us to close our eyes this morning and let's just spend a moment in his presence one encounter with him is better than any 12 step program you could ever go through Jesus encountered a woman at a well and in one conversation she became not only an evangelist to the cities, but she became a martyr later in her life for Christ as she witnessed, and, and church historians say, even led Nero, the emperor of Rome's mother, to Christ. In one encounter at a well, Jesus converted a sinful, shameful woman into an evangelist for the gospel. So it just takes one moment of heart connection this morning. With our eyes closed, if you're sitting here and you said, man, I never knew the love of God like that. I believed in God or I believe in God, but I, I just always thought he was so disappointed in me. And I feel cut off or I feel shame or I feel numb on the inside. God help us, our, our generations, our younger generations are just brought up feeling so numb on the inside to try to hide the pain. You can go numb, but the disease is still there. So if you're here this morning and you said, man, my heart is not connected to this family love that you speak of, and I need connection. I need to be drawn back into the loving arms of a Savior and of a Father who will love me. If you're sitting here this morning saying, I want to tell you that that is me. 
but I'm ready to change it today with one single moment. Would you just real quickly just shoot your hand up? Is there anybody here? Anybody here who feels that they need that reconnection? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything crazy. I just, I just want us to take this first step because if you'll take the first step in acknowledging it, then he'll meet you where you're at. So just don't want to linger too long, but is there anybody here? See those hands. Thank you. You can put them down. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? I saw three hands go up. So beautiful. Right now, we're going we're gonna to enter into a moment of prayer where we're going to make some declarations. And after that, I want to invite you, if you want prayer, if you want prayer directly, one-on-one, if you, if you need prayer for anything, it could be a need or, or, or anything, but if you're one of those hands that, that went up, I want to please invite you that after we make this prayer, uh, a declaration in our lives. If you feel drawn, come to the front and let us, let us hug you and love on you and pray with you. Because we want to show you the love of the Father. So as a church right now, let's all pray this out loud. Whether you raise your hand or not, let's all pray this. Heavenly Father, I want to acknowledge that you're not mad at me. You are not disappointed in me. You have come to prop me up and to fix my connection to the vine. God, I admit that there's times where I have felt disconnected And I have felt numb. But right now, I fall into your embrace. Hug me out of my shame. Cleanse me inside and out. Let your blood wash away my sins. And make me new. Now declare this. Say, Heavenly Father, I confirm today that I am born again into your family. And now your blood runs through my veins. I thank you for reconnection to your heart. And to the family of God, I love you, I worship you, and I will walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.